0: So for the last few weeks, we've been looking at Jesus' teachings and parables in the Gospel of Luke. Beginning in chapter 14, uh, Jesus articulated the cost of discipleship. He called us to take up our crosses and follow him. And then he described his joy when even one person repents and responds to this invitation. And then he spoke at length about the role of money in our discipleship and how the kingdom is ushering in a new economy that's at odds with the old. Jesus' words, as always, are at once invitational and polemical. They're captivating and challenging. And today's reading gives us the disciples' response to all these things. In light of the call, and, and specifically in light of some other things Jesus says in this chapter that we'll get to in a few minutes. The disciples say, Lord, increase our faith. Essentially, they're saying, help us. Help us to believe and respond to your words rightly. Another way to translate their request, and in my preferred way, is, Lord, make us faithful. Maybe you can relate to that request. Maybe over the last few weeks, you have felt the weight of Jesus' words, and you've wondered whether you can or will live up to them. Maybe you appreciate the disciples' honesty here. I do. Recently, I attended a wedding, and it was great. Everyone looked great, the music was great, the food was great, and it was a really happy wedding, one of the happiest I've been to in a while. Throughout the ceremony, people just kept erupting into laughter including the bride and the groom, which you know, knowing them, it made sense. Uh, But um, in addition to it being a happy wedding, it was also a serious wedding because the bride and the groom made vows to each other, serious vows before God and before us. And every time I hear those vows at a wedding, I gulp just a little bit inside. When I hear someone promise for richer or poorer, for better or worse, in sickness and in health, until death do us part, I feel the weight of that promise. As a married person and as a Christian, when I heard those vows again at the wedding, I felt the gravity of them and I just said a silent prayer for myself. Lord, make me faithful. Help me, help all of us who make these vows before you to be faithful to them. We can't do this without your help, Lord. And I think something very similar was happening with the disciples here in Luke 17. In light of the call, To ask for help, to ask for faith is an entirely appropriate response. It reminds us that we cannot live the Christian life in our own strength. Even faith is a gift from God and it's one we can and should ask for. One of the first prayers that captured my imagination as a child is a request very similar to this from the Gospel of Mark when a man brings his son to Jesus for healing. And Jesus says, all things are possible for the one who believes, to which the father responds, I believe, help my unbelief. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. This is a prayer we should never stop praying, no matter how long we've been at this. And it's a didactic prayer, meaning it teaches us something. Now this is something we Anglicans are big on, right, which is that prayer isn't only valuable insofar that it's answered in the way we want Prayer itself is formative. It shapes us and it works something inside of us whether we're aware of it or not. So when you pray and ask God for faith, you are exercising the very thing you're asking for. Meaning to ask God for faith is itself an act of faith. It's an act of trust that he is there and that he is able to grant what you ask. So if you are in a season of doubt or discouragement, and you think your faith is really just an embarrassment, it's barely there and it feels good for practically nothing, you can say this prayer and it will be enough. Lord, increase my faith. I believe, help my unbelief. All you need is enough faith to ask for more. And this helps us to begin to understand why Jesus answers the disciples' request with this outrageous illustration he gives of the mustard seed. They say, Lord, increase our faith, and Jesus responds in verse six. If you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Okay, I'm curious, how many of you have ever held a mustard seed? All right, that's pretty good, we're, yeah. We're not exactly living in an agrarian society, but um, how about this, if you haven't held a mustard seed, have you ever eaten whole grain mustard? Show your hand. Okay, these are like the fancy kind you get at the gastropub. It comes with your charcuterie plate and that little dish. Has the balls in it. Those are mustard seeds. <laughs> I'm hungry now. Uh, and now that's actually the biggest variety of mustard seed. The seeds native to Israel are much smaller than that. There's a box of them in our atria, the rooms where our children have their classes on Sundays, so our kids can hold them. And I did this a few months ago, and... Um, it was almost like holding a grain of sand in my palm. Mustard seeds were the smallest type of seed that Jesus' contemporaries would have been familiar with, and that's why he uses them to make his point. And his point is this, it's not the measure of our faith that saves us, it's the object of our faith. Bishop N.T. Wright put it like this, it's not great faith you need, it's faith in a great God. Faith is like a window through which you can see something. What matters is not whether the window is six inches high or six feet high. What matters is the God that your faith is looking out on. If it's the creator God, the God active in Jesus and the spirit, then the tiniest little peephole of a window will give you access power to like you never dreamed of. The disciples were right to ask for God's help. They know that in order to be faithful followers of Jesus, they require access to a power beyond themselves. But they wrongly assume that the power lies in the faith itself. So Jesus clarifies, the power belongs to God. He is the one who sustains us. He is the one who makes us faithful. This is important for us to understand because it's so easy, especially if we've been in the church for a while, it's so easy to get hung up on ourselves to where we're constantly evaluating our faith, worried about whether or not we believe enough or understand enough, or whether our theology is good enough to really be able to access the life God has for us. Maybe you relate to that struggle, and this is an invitation for you to get out of your own head. Not to stop caring, because your theology does matter profoundly, but to stop looking at yourself so much And instead, to look up at God and to trust that He is at work in and through you, wherever you are on this journey. Or maybe this notion of faith has been used against you in a different way. Maybe you've been in a church or a community where faith has become a measuring stick against whatever's going wrong in your life. You're sick? Well, if you could just pray with enough faith, you would be healed. You're struggling with an addiction? You're depressed? You don't need treatment, you need faith. Many of you know that my father died of cancer when I was in high school. You may not know that when he was diagnosed, my parents began attending a charismatic church, a church that emphasized God's power to do the miraculous, to heal people. And we badly wanted that, we needed it because he had a terminal diagnosis. And for the last three years of his life, we did all the things. People prayed all the prayers over him. We really did have, or so we thought, we thought we had faith that he could and would be healed, that we would get a miracle. And then when we didn't get the miracle, when my father eventually died, I had my own sort of spiritual crisis because I thought this must have happened for one of two reasons. Either I was defective or God was. Either my faith had not been strong enough and I'd somehow failed my family, or God wasn't really who he said he was. Now, I remain thankful for my time in that church because they taught me to believe that God can and still does work miracles. In this church, we pray for miracles to happen, as we should, but I think it's a misappropriation of Jesus' words here to measure our faith against temporary outcomes. Sometimes we get the miracle, sometimes we don't. This has been true for God's people from the beginning. But what Jesus does promise us here is that our faith, however small, however weak it may seem, it will be enough for us to be faithful, regardless of temporary outcomes. And looking back on my own story, that's what I see. When my father died, my faith, as I'd previously understood it, it was reduced to ash, it was little more than a whisper. For years, my faith was just enough for me to cry out, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. And God answered that prayer because the power to sustain me belonged to him, not to my understanding of him or even my confidence in him. So friends, I encourage you to stop worrying about whether your faith is big enough or strong enough. What you need to know instead is that he is big enough. He has the power to make you faithful to the call. That's the promise. Not that all your prayers will be answered as you hope, but that you will be able to follow him even when it's hard. The context here, remember, is the disciples' response to Jesus' teaching about discipleship, his call for compassion and forgiveness. The verses just before our text say this, Jesus says, don't cause others to sin, and if someone sins against you, you must forgive them. So you wanna talk about something hard? Let's talk about forgiveness. That's the mulberry tree in Luke 17. It's often the basic stuff of the Christian life that can feel so impossible, am I right? And that's what the disciples are asking for here. They're asking for enough faith to faithfully live the Christian life and Jesus says, you got it. This is empowering because it means right now. Indeed, from the moment that you come to him, God has already given you access to all that you need to be faithful to him. The Apostle Peter put it like this. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. So you have the power to forgive, brothers and sisters. You have the power to show compassion to take up your cross, to be his disciple. That's not to say we don't need to grow or mature over time because we absolutely do. But it means we can stop making excuses for our hesitation. There are no super Christians. There is only Christ and all he requires is faith the size of a mustard seed. All he requires is that you come to him with open hands to receive him, his power, his life. So be encouraged but also be humbled by this because when you let go of the notion that it's your faith or your virtue or your spiritual strength at work, you also have to let go of pride. And this is how the second section of the reading ties in to Jesus' words about faith. He says in verse seven, will any one of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once and recline at table? And then in verse nine, does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. Now the import of this illustration is lost on us because we operate with such different economic language. So Jesus isn't suggesting here that an employer shouldn't show appreciation or kindness to a worker. Nor is he saying that we, as God's servants, should be self-deprecating. The point he's making is about indebtedness. A faithful employee might be appreciated, but the master does not owe him anything other than the payment that was promised. Remember, Jesus is having this conversation with his disciples in the presence of the Pharisees, whose spiritual pride had begun to operate as a sense of entitlement before God. You know, they kind of walked around saying, look at us and how faithfully we've kept the law. God is so lucky to have us around. They thought their moral excellence put God in their debt and made them deserving of special treatment. Can you relate to that on any level? Have you ever thought, God, I've been so faithful to you. You owe me this promotion. You owe me a spouse or a child or a ministry or fill in the blank." God, I've been good to you. You owe me a different life than the one I'm living. It's sneaky because we rarely say those kinds of things out loud. But Jesus' words here challenge the secret thoughts of our hearts. They challenge us not to trade our obedience for manipulation. They invite us to ask God for what we want without believing that he owes us anything. And they remind us that when we meet him, When we see our Lord face to face, we are the ones who will say thank you. We are the ones who will bow before him. There are no super-Christians. There is only Christ, and he is worthy of our worship and our obedience, full stop. So in closing, I want to briefly describe that obedience. If Jesus grants us the power to be faithful here and now, then what does that faithfulness look like? Here are three things that come from our readings this morning, and I've already alluded to the first, which is humility. A life of faith is a life of humility before God and others. It's to embrace this role of the unworthy servant, not posturing for special privileges or recognition, but simply being faithful to the call, ready to forgive, and ready to repent when we are the ones who cause another to stumble. Now, as a leader in the church, I offer up this call to humility with great sobriety because I recognize that so often we fall short at this. So often Christian pastors and leaders are the ones who create the stumbling block for others and then we're not humble enough to admit it. If the clergy abuse scandals of the last few decades have shown us anything, it's that we have failed to protect the little ones that Jesus refers to in verse three of our passage. An offense so great in his eyes, he says, it would be better for you if a millstone were hung around your neck and you were cast into the sea. We have been guilty of this and we have failed to adequately repent. So if that's part of your story, if you have been harmed by Christian leaders, violated or abused by people who are supposed to represent God to you, If the cross of Christ has become a trigger for you, then hear me say on behalf of the church, I am so sorry. And hear my prayer for myself and my fellow clergy, Lord, make us faithful. May God make us humble, ready to repent where we need to, and hungry for the power that he gives, which is not the power of control, but the power of the cross. Now that leads to the second feature of faithfulness in our readings this morning, which is power. We are called to walk in humility, but also in power. Listen again to Paul's words to Timothy in our New Testament reading. In verse seven he said, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Sometimes faithfulness feels easy. Sometimes compassion and forgiveness don't cost us that much. Other times, it feels like God might as well be asking you to tell a mulberry tree to get up and walk, and when that's the case, God will provide the resources, the power that you need to be faithful. With the call comes the capacity, and that's what Timothy is being reminded of here. And it's a good reminder that the Christian life is, in fact, supernatural. It's otherworldly. It's the call to die to yourself and your agenda and your plans and your opinion about what's best for you. In some places around the world, the Christian life leads to literal death through persecution and imprisonment. Paul himself wrote this letter to Timothy from a prison cell. And he says in verse 8, Don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Most of us will probably never be called to suffer in that way, but whatever is in store for you in the life of faith, whatever ministry God has for you or whatever challenges he allows you to face, you can be confident in the power of God to sustain you. And that leads to the last word on faithfulness today which is this, faithfulness is often forged through suffering. Turn with me just briefly to the Old Testament reading from this morning. The prophet Habakkuk cried out to God for justice. And God gave him an answer that he didn't like. Habakkuk wanted God to discipline Israel for their rebellion. He wanted God's people to turn from their sin and be renewed. And God answered him and said, I'm paraphrasing significantly here because there's a lot to redact. God says, I'm going to do this, but I'm going to do it in my way and on my timetable. In other words, God promised to fulfill his good purposes for Israel, but he chose to do it in a way that Habakkuk found unfair, frankly. Can you relate to that? Has God ever acted in a way that you disagree with, that you find unfair? So Habakkuk, being a prophet, this is what they do, he argues with God about this. And the Lord responds to him again in chapter two, verse one. Write the vision, the Lord says. Make it plain so that he may run who reads it for still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end, it will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come, it will not delay. Behold, the enemy is puffed up, but the righteous shall live by faith. We don't really learn how to live by faith as long as we can live by sight. As long as seeing things seem to be going the way we hope, As long as God is playing by our rules, as long as everything is working in our lives, it's easy to have faith. But when things start falling apart, when life stops making sense, and when God himself seems to be the enemy, that's when we learn what faithfulness really feels like. That's when we learn how to hold on to a vision of God's goodness, even when it seems slow or invisible or far off. Sometimes we read about mustard seed faith and mulberry trees, and we want that to play itself out in a certain way. We think, I have faith for God to do this miracle in my life or to remove this thorn from my flesh. But sometimes, in his sovereignty, the miracle God has in store is to help us walk through a season we never would have asked for. Through suffering, God grants to us the miracle of perseverance the miracle of faithfulness. I wonder, actually, if Jesus had his own future in mind when he spoke these words to the disciples. If you have faith like a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted, and it would obey you. When Jesus prayed in the garden on the night before his crucifixion, he had his own hopes about how God might show up and deliver him. Jesus asked for a different miracle than the one he got. Lord, he prayed, if it's possible, take this cup from me. Instead, the Lord granted him strength to endure the cross, to be faithful unto death. Friends, even Jesus learned obedience through the things he suffered. Even Jesus had to live by faith when he died in agony and felt abandoned by God. Even Jesus had to hold on to a vision that he couldn't see with his own eyes. It was a vision that for him lay on the other side of the grave. That's faithfulness. Let me close with the final words from the book of Habakkuk. It's a short chapter, it's a short book, just three chapters. I recommend you read the whole thing sometime if you have the time. After Habakkuk's long argument with God and his disappointment that things aren't going the way they hoped, the prophet says this, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. Though the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me to tread on my high places. This is what faithfulness looks like, and this is the miracle that God works in us. Amen, let me pray for us. Lord, we believe, help our unbelief. Sometimes it feels like we have so little to give, but we ask you to increase our faith. Give us courage to open our hands and to ask and to receive you. Make us faithful, O Lord, by your power alone. Amen.